Welcome to TalkErie.com's Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast. Every day, we tackle the biggest issues that the Erie, PA region faces. Stay informed and involved as we advance the narrative of Erie. Now, here's Joel Natale. We have our health focus here on the Joel Natale Show, and we are playing a pre-recorded conversation with Chris Dundon. He's the Director of Behavioral Health for Mill Creek Community Hospital here at Leecom Health. Chris, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me. Alrighty, so uh, again, if people are avid listeners, we gotta make the, the disclosure that you are the husband of Cassie Dundon, one of my favorite guests on the show from the Achievement Center. And so, Chris, uh, we're, we're excited to have you on. Yeah, uh, I, I am as well, and I, I'm also pleased to be Cassie's husband. <laughs> okay. All right, we're, we're a family show. Did you grow up here in Erie? or? Did... Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yep, all 37 years. <laughs> did, what, what got you into this field of behavioral health? What, what drove you that way? Um, I think that uh, trying to figure out why people are making decisions, trying to figure out why I make my own decisions, the things that uh, create our own anxiety through life, and we get kind of caught in those thought spirals. Just seems like something that I could a help myself with as I learn more about it uh, through psychology, and then honestly, I've always been one of those uh, types of folks that I think people come to me with things uh, looking for help, feel comfortable speaking with me, and I thought wouldn't it be cool to do that as a uh, as a, a career and have people uh, want to come and talk to me and be able to be that confidant and help people out. Um, so that that's where that all kind of started, and uh, I worked uh, in the behavioral health field now for ten plus years, and and I find myself as a director of behavioral health now. So you're in management, but you you spent most of your time in direct care, uh, right? I mean, um, I, I would like to spend way more time than I do uh, in yeah. direct care with patients and actually um, in those types of. But up until now, you have Correct. been in a lot of direct care, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I've been an outpatient therapist, um, an in-home mobile therapist. I've overseen family-based programs. Um, I had done in-school therapy, student wow. assistance program, um, and I currently do a little bit of on the side private practice stuff just to keep my skills sharp. Do you feel that uh, people are uh, dealing with more anxiety in 2021 than ever before? Yeah, I mean, uh, unequivocally, yes. The, uh, when, when I do trainings and things, and I'm glad you use the word people because I think we can accidentally go down the rabbit hole of patients and, and those like afflicted with mental health, when in reality, we all have some sort of thing that um, drives anxiety or we have some level of anxiety in our lives. And the more we realize we're all just people, right, and we all have those things that might push us past a threshold of what we can cope with, absolutely. And I think with what's been um, happening just in our world, especially with pandemic um, and, and countless other uh, social issues, that we're all pushing that threshold in our lives. Pushing the threshold. So basically, we all have you know, some degree of where we can kind of keep things together, and then, right. there's, then there's that tripping point. Yeah, wow. yeah. Wow. I mean, that, that's according to, to me, but yeah. I, I think most people would, can probably um, have some sort of recognition with that. You know, one of the things we've been reporting on the show here is that uh, during the pandemic, we, uh, you know, there's kind of this parallel pandemic of, of behavioral health. And uh, I've had everyone from the, the de Deputy Secretary of, um, of Human Services mm -hmm. from Pennsylvania to kind of talk about, like, who's the champion for those that are suffering uh, with behavioral health issues while, while you know, the, you know, while mitigation circumstances happen. Um, talking to psychologists and psychiatrists and things and saying, yeah, it's, it's tough out there, especially when you can't actually see somebody in person half the time because yeah. of telehealth. Um, what is your experience? Have, 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 uh, 
have people with that 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 are plagued by mental health issues have they gone deeper in some of their pathology do you think I think what we saw, especially at the beginning of, of the pandemic and, and those struggles, where people really probably didn't want to go to hospitals as much, right, mm-hmm. which is um, the highest level of care, that people were waiting and maybe waiting too long and maybe finding other uh, coping skills that weren't necessarily positive. Uh, so by the time that people did either have to come to us um, under a 302, you know, or something where they have to be brought into the hospital for assessment, um, or they chose to come to us, it was probably a little bit past the time that would have been the optimum time to come in. Um, so I feel like the amount of uh, affliction, if that's what we're using as a term, um, probably, uh, or their threshold, they're way past it, right? That they're, they're to the point where um, it's going to take a little bit more to get them back to uh, a level of stability, which is the idea of our inpatient, is really just to stabilize and then get back to a, a lesser restrictive level of care and back as much as we can towards whatever normal was for that person. So that would really beg the question of, like, the, the build-out of this new wing at, at Milker Community is very... Uh, fortunate timing, right? Correct. Yeah, I, I think um, so. We've had so many different challenges with, um, especially anybody going to a level of congregate care, meaning uh, the discharge resource might be where they're living with others in, in, in congregative uh, settings. Uh, one of those being uh, residential treatment facilities and the struggle around um, mitigating any sort of contagion in that type of um, area was difficult. And then also utilizing them as a discharge resource was was a struggle. Um, so that combined with just the overall level of need of mental health, um, there was a need recognized that uh, we might be able to fill. And, and that's what this new unit is all about, is having an area for um, kids to be able to go that is a step level down from inpatient or a diversion on their way up through the levels of care from inpatient, uh, where they would stay much less time than uh, traditional residential treatment facilities and hopefully be out back with their families um, in under 60 days. You mentioned kids, and so obviously that sounds like that's where the demand is. When you say kids, is it 18 and under? What, uh, how young do they go sometimes? Um, so we have the ability and we're licensed down to three years old inpatient-wise, um, but typically we, we really shouldn't see anybody that, um, that young. Hopefully there's been a lot of other interventions that have tried that are, are, are less restrictive and less intense than inpatient. Um, So I would say we probably focus more on the 12 to 17 year olds, um, and that's where we see the majority of the need, and that's really what this newer newer program will focus on as well. And how, and again, obviously you're not going to be specific, but what what kinds of presenting uh, symptoms are you seeing here? Uh, Again, I think if we look at it in terms of um, being overwhelmed past a threshold, right, and that can be um, many different things for many different people. But I will say that anxiety is one of those larger things, um, and often anxiety is coupled with depression. So uh, the presentation of, of those two um, struggles might, might, might present as someone that just looks down and forlorn and has no hope, and it can also go up to someone that's actively having um, uh, suicidal ideation or maybe even homicidal ideation. I mean, um, a lot of self-hurt, I mean... Uh, sure, absolutely. Okay, yeah. yeah. And so... Again, I always want to give give my listeners solutions, and so right off the bat, what's a what's like a red line for a mom, a dad, a caregiver, yeah. a teacher? Yeah. So I I, I do a, a little bit of an intro um, class here for anybody that's coming to work for us. Mm-hmm. It's all about de-escalation, and and I think um, the more that I've done that, it's not about patients; it's about people, right? That we're all just people, and if we think about um, what, I, what I try to instill in that is knowing a baseline, right? Knowing what typical is 
and knowing when we're beyond typical or, or below typical, whatever it might be. Um, I always say during the training that I'm an outgoing, gregarious type of person. So I'm the type of person that if I'm quiet one day, although that might fly under the radar, that's quite a bit different. And so I might want to take notice. So I think for, for anybody um, who's worrying about a loved one in their lives, that's the takeaway is to really just um, listen to that gut instinct, right? And understand um, if, they're, if, if a child or a family member is acting um, well off their baseline, right? Mm-hmm. So if they're usually very quiet and they're um, elevated now and all those kind of things, it, it might be something that tickles that I might need help, you know, and, and, and kind of get you to be thinking about that. Um, if someone's at the level that they're uh, actively threatening and um, saying they want to hurt someone else or themselves, I mean, that might be the level where we call a crisis or get into inpatient. But I think that first line is just when something's a little bit off and you get that gut instinct, parents usually aren't wrong. Yeah. They know their kids best. And uh, it's never um, too early to reach out. And when we, when we reach out, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, it's, it's a situation where the parents fully informed and fully involved in decision making. And so, it, I mean, just kind of finding out some information of, hey, this is what's happening. Can he get an eval? Yeah. I mean, is that, would that be first step? Uh, so I think if, if we're at that point where we're not thinking we're in an absolute crisis situation, again, if we're ever at that, like the, you, you can always get an assessment anytime at any local emergency room. Um, that being said, if we're thinking, oh, there might just be a little something here and I just want to be proactive about the mental health of my, my child, um, then reaching out to somewhere like the Achievement Center, right, and, and um, talking to their intake department, they'll be able to kind of uh, do a little bit more of a differential questionnaire to help figure out what the appropriate level of care is and then um, assign accordingly or help, help with the referral as necessary. Do you feel like there's like there's no wrong door when it comes to behavioral health? You know, like, I, I've got an issue, I don't know what to do. I can go to the ER, I can go to the Achievement Center, I can uh, call a, a trusted friend, a nurse or whatever. Yeah, I, I think you're right on, on the right track there. Um, I love the idea of, of, of no wrong door. Um, I think there's probably more appropriate doors or this and that, but the wrong door would be not opening it, right? That makes a lot of sense. Our guest on this pre-recorded in, uh, conversation is with Chris Dundon. He's the Director of Behavioral Health with Mill Creek Community Hospital. And we're in this brand new f- uh, facility here. Um, so what are you calling this uh, new wing here and what does it do? So um, this is a psychiatric residential treatment facility. Um, and the whole idea of it is um, that it's a step just under um, inpatient, which is the most restrictive level of care. But the idea is, is to do it in an efficient way that engages the family and other services in the community um, with as short of lag time as possible with um, discharge resources. So if I can just put that in a slightly different way, um, kids would come here, spend 15 to, uh, to 60 days, all right, so two weeks to two months um, within our program, um, be seeing a psychiatrist once a week, and we invite the uh, services that we're hoped to have on the outset of treatment we invite them in right from the beginning and, and always plan that discharging right from the beginning. They start services within a relatively controlled environment, inviting the families in as well, as much as we can during a pandemic. And then actually transition those same services that have started while here with them through into the community. So there's no um, actual gap in, in services. So there's no, oops, I forgot to follow up with my appointment or any of those kind of things. And it transitions right out the door with them um, to continuing in the community. All right, so let's let's talk about uh, treatment plans. Uh, first off, how how important are meds at this level? Would you say? 
Um, I would say very important. Typically at this level, um, kids are going to be either coming um, down, like I said, from inpatient, uh, which uh, inpatient is all about stabilization, right? It, it, it's all about um, not delving deep in, into trauma histories and pasts and things like that. It's you're at a level where you, you can't be safe in an, un, um, in an unlocked area. So we're going to uh, get you at a safe level and then hurry up and get you out as soon as we can and stabilize to an area that's um, more comfortable uh, and least restrictive. So those medications would need to continue in this environment. And they'll, they'll probably follow them out the door? Yes, too. that, that would okay. be the idea that they would then follow up with an outpatient psychiatrist um, and their other services outside of here. And then, and I'm sure I'm using the wrong terms, but behavior modification or, you know, how you process externals, mm -hmm. uh, how much of that uh, happens? And is that happening in groups? one-on-ones, how does that work? Yeah, so the majority of the day, um, both inpatient and on this unit, uh, there is, is group therapy, there's group therapists um, and activities therapists and those types of people that engage with the children all day long, um, unless they're eating or unless they're doing hygiene or something else that's uh, taking up their time. And on this unit, it's no different, except for there's an addition of a case manager who also acts as a therapist, who would be doing individual and family sessions once a week with them. Um, family sessions. Yeah, in conjunction with, uh, like I said, we're, we're, we're partnering and, and getting services that will be the discharge resource started internally in, in, in uh, collabor collaboration, I guess, with us um, so that there can be a little more intensive therapy working on all those struggles, working on the hierarchy of the family, working on any of the um, systems that they're involved in, meaning the family outside of here. You talk about the hierarchy of the family a lot. So that must be one of those big presenting issues where the kid is in control of, of the family unit. Right, right. That's, so that's, what is, how does that happen? Um, well, I think uh, when there's a lot of need with, with a child, um, that the family starts to uh, react as a positive family would and, and try to wrap around that, that child and might accidentally uh, reinforce um, or, or change the dynamic to the point where the kid might accidentally be calling the shots a little bit. Um, but that in turn, um, can, can create a lot of other issues down the road. So how, helping um, to, to correct that would be something like family-based, which we would have uh, concurrently in our program, uh, have them readjust and kind of and flip that script a little bit and get the parents back in, in the driver's seat as much as possible and have everybody understand their roles as they should, you know, a kid be a kid and an adult be an adult and try to get it all kind of straightened out along with all the feelings, emotions, and all that that goes along and why that ever, ever flipped. Mm -hmm. Because I guarantee everybody in that dynamic is, is having thoughts and feelings around it. Yeah, I was gonna say, how, how successful is that? I, I, I mean, you're really, that mean, I mean, you have one patient, but no, you've got like four patients. I mean, right. like, uh, and I shouldn't use patients, but you know what I'm saying, uh, like the, the, the issue of actually like, um, you know, you know, dad, or you know, uh, you can't react that way when he does X. Yeah, yeah. So success with therapy is always one of those things that um, it, it's tough to quantify, but there's a uh, large indicator, and that's how much people are bought into it, right? And how much they want to to do with it. Um, I mean, I'm in private practice with your sister, yeah, and you can definitely ask her. Uh, but if if a if I she's a tough love kind of a person, though, she is. <laughs> I mean, she is. Which which I think some parents need, you know. I hate to say it that way, but like they need a spine a little bit, you know, well, they need to kind of build some boundaries in, for their child. Yeah, and, and therapists are probably famous for positive reframing and euphemisms, but I will say like that, <laughs> right, they need to have consistency, right, yes, and, and, yeah, and appropriate yeah. consequences, whether it be negative or positive. And, and then sometimes, and again, this is a, this is my editorial comment, but sometimes you have, 
either parents that have absolutely no spine let the kids walk all over them and then they swing same parents to this overly you know overly strict deal and you're like well wait a second Right, you know, so, uh, so that would be confusing. And again, I, I go back to just yeah, that consistency, consistency right? Consistency, yeah. Um, we, we all want to understand and have consistency in our life. And for a kid who, uh, I mean, consistency is probably one of those most important things. If you look at all of our programs, everything's super structured. Because when you don't have consistency and you don't know what's going to happen next, that drives anxiety. So the more that you can be consistent as a parent, as an employer, as a, a treatment facility, whatever it is, I, I think will drive down anxiety in, in everybody, especially these, these kids that really thrive on, on, on that consistent approach. Wow. Um, all right. I, I got like a, a couple minutes. I want to talk about for, uh, you know, again, an overall treatment. Talk about the social determinants of health. You know, how much does poverty, does homelessness, does, you know, just not be, we were talking yesterday on the show about, you know, kids that can't join extracurricular activities at school because if they miss their bus, they're they're right. they're goofed up, right? Right, right. No, and I mean, I, I don't mean to go too far down into the rabbit hole that you and Cassie probably always talk about, which is, is the trauma side of things. Right. But Joel, if I said to you, you know what, um, I'm going to take all your food away today. I'm going to take your house away today. I'm going to take away your money. Like, what are you worried about right now? Yeah. You're not worried about finishing the interview, probably all that stuff. Your mind is now in this uh, fight or flight, like I got to survive mode. Um, and it's real hard to make a positive decision and have any sort of resiliency or... or or uh, feel normal during that time, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's, I'm just trying to get that feeling from anybody listening to this. If you can't feel safe, you can't make a good decision. So if you don't have those natural supports, like having a solid place to go, right? Having a coat, having any sort of security in your life that makes you feel, okay, I don't have to worry about these basic needs. You're not gonna be able to get to the higher level of functioning of making a good decision on what makes, um, what makes you feel normal throughout a day or be able to learn in, in school or be able to think about um, how to, uh, cope with my struggles in a positive way. Do you feel like as a behavioral health community or even a community in general, we're getting this and doing better with the, with this? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I will say that because I'm part of the, the trauma coalition Yeah. and because of um, just the changes I've heard in how people speak. It, it, the whole uh, perspective shift of what's wrong with somebody to what happened to them yeah. um, is huge. And, and is something that um, has permeated now in, in basically every walk of life that I'm involved with. We still have to catch ourselves sometimes, right? It's real easy to jump back to that, what's wrong with something, kind of that medical model approach, like figure out what's wrong and treat it, um, rather than understanding everyone, the whole perspective and saying, wow, a lot has happened to you. I understand where you're at. And I really want to partner with you and help you. Chris, uh, this is, uh, give me a chance to toot your horn here at, here at LeCon because I, if I know that MCH is kind of like a really great place to go for behavioral health treatment. Uh, it's got to be out there. So how do you think that you guys have built your reputation as being kind of that, that go-to place? So I think um, we have in, in the immediate area, um, one of the largest right inpatient facilities. We have 85 beds um, that's uh, comprised of um, 30 pediatric beds, uh, 32 adult beds, and 23 geriatric beds. So we have the ability to do a, a lot there. And then that coupled with partnering with places like the Achievement Center and affiliating with them um, and Corey Counseling uh, most recently, um, th those pieces uh, you know, build upon previous reputations as well as our own. And then we have the, the school, obviously, which is affiliated, right? And um, 
has second to none um, psychiatry. And, oh. and oftentimes, especially with inpatient, right, um, psychiatry is kind of the backbone. Um, it, it's hard to do something if you don't have a medical director and a doctor and a, a medical team that, that can actually provide the services. So I, I think through the reputation of the school and all of our service lines, um, it, we, we've kind of become, um, and the large banner down the side of our building, right? Yeah, like, right. And the door yeah. boards and things. I mean, sure. it, it's, it's hard not to, to know. Um, yeah. If you drive down Peach Street, uh, you, you're probably aware that we exist. Um, and with the amount of patients that we serve, uh, it, it's hard not to know that, that we're one, one of the, the big game players, I guess. Sure. So let's talk about geriatrics again. Um, uh, what is that? How, how do geriatrics that need behavioral health inpatient present? What, what, again, we've got people that are in the family, the sandwich generation. They might have kids. They might have older adult uh, parents. Mm -hmm. What's that all about? Yeah, so I, I mean, I think um, sometimes we see uh, more of the symptoms, right? So okay. like, it, it's usually not that, oh, this person has X or Y diagnosis. It's that there's something off their baseline again. I'll kind of go back to that. Uh, that someone, uh, and, and sometimes people present to us for um, things that end up being more uh, dementia-related or, or, or those kind of issues, but there could be something underlying there too. Um, so I, I think as people start noticing differences, whether someone might be overly depressed, they seem more confused than usual, um, they might have uh, auditory or visual hallucinations, um, the things that just obviously are going to send up a red flag for, for any um, caregiver or, or a, a son or daughter that's, that's dealing with an older individual. Um, it's probably time for some sort of assessment. And sometimes that starts out with a PCP, um, at which we offer those services as well, right, for, for geriatrics. Sure. Um, but, but getting the assessment to figure out, okay, is this a medical need? Because uh, sometimes um, there are medical uh, issues and concerns that can present as mental health in, in the... Oh, okay. Like uh, urinary, urinary tract infections okay. oftentimes have a lot of symptoms that can uh, kind of present as mental health issues. So getting the right um, diagnosis and assessment is probably a good first step. But again, um, don't not walk through the door, right? right. Make sure you're calling somebody. Uh, we have a, a team's assessment person that um, can come out and do even assessments uh, as long as it's a relatively safe and can be a distanced um, uh, in-person assessment. We've started doing that just recently with all the vaccinations and things. Um, otherwise, you come to the ED or talk to your, uh, your PCP. I would imagine sometimes it gets violent and it's very emotional for everybody when you have uh, either somebody that's on their way to dementia or what whatever is going on there. Um, again, uh, you know, what are what are some of the circumstances that that present that way? Yeah, I mean that's always I think a tough time um, because trying to figure out where where someone's functioning level is at, yeah. right? and understanding and trying to get their perspective um, from that patient on, on what their level of understanding is can be very difficult to assess. And I think there's always that um, struggle for anybody that's a caregiver on, is it time for me that I need more help outside the home? Mm -hmm. And kind of that, um, am, I, am I treating my, my, my dad, someone that was my caregiver, fairly now in this state? So there is a lot of emotions around it. Um, but again, everything that we do here is trying to get people to be stabilized and back out. You know, we're not like, oh, yes, give us all your patients, we'll keep them forever. No, we want, we want people to be stabilized, be healthy, and get back to normal as much as possible and f help you find an appropriate discharge resource. So although it might be emotionally taxing on a caregiver, um, we, we try to partner with you as, as much as possible on that. Then, of course, there's the adults. You have 32 beds for adults. And uh, again, that's the anxiety, depression, you know, self-harm, that kind of thing, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, and then, of course, the kids. Is, uh, you have 30 
and then you're going to have more, or you have 30 inpatient, and then these beds, which are right. the residential treatment facilities. Yeah, so that, that's, like I said, um, inpatient, we have uh, 30 beds, and this would be a step down. Another yeah. 10 beds here is the capacity. Okay, gotcha. And where, where does, um, uh, where, like, what other, what other parts play into this network, I guess, is my question. Basically, is it inpatient, residential facility, and then home? Or um, at sometimes, isn't there the criminal justice system gets involved in this? Or again, I'm just trying to understand the, sure. the kind of the universe here. Yeah, so there's a ton of different um, different little universes within okay. there that can, that can gotcha. play and uh, have an impact on whatever the trajectory of the patient is. Um, I mean, we are in a hospital, so there's probably also medical needs too and all that. Absolutely. So whether or not um, an individual is involved in the legal system, um, has a medical need that needs some sort of specialized treatment, um, and then all the different uh, step-down resources, like we mentioned for um, like this unit, the residential treatment facility, those exist for adults as well. Um, and there's nursing homes for the geriatrics and those types of things. So depending on what the availability is of the resources for discharge, um, because we can say someone's ready, but if they don't have the appropriate level to go to, we're not going to kick them out on the street, right? Gotcha. So making sure that there's a capacity in every other level of service is a big piece. Um, like, and how are we doing that way, especially this part of the pandemic? Like, do, uh, are you able to get the referrals that you need? Um, uh, honestly, not always. I mean, I think there's always a, a shortage of um, uh, psychiatric care for the most part, which is one of the reasons why we opened up um, the WECOM Institute for Behavioral Health uh, and an outpatient clinic for psychiatry. Um, but in, in reality, uh, sometimes those appointments are a little bit harder to come by. You know, wow. and there is a large um, or high level of need. And then the other services we talk about going into the homes and things, um, we usually utilize family-based or BCM, blended case management, yeah. um, to kind of help be that next transitional level. And oftentimes there might be um, no current availability of the providers. Uh, or the residentials, like we opened here. Uh, for a while, there was uh, not an appropriate discharge resource for them either. Some of that was pandemic related and driven because mm -hmm. you know if, if they couldn't uh, mitigate a risk there or something like that, if there was an outbreak, um, then then there was a struggle. So it, oftentimes we get into a little bit of like a log jam if we don't have a Well, yeah, and, and, and again, I'm thinking of other conversations that we have and, and sometimes like, you know, doing direct care is, 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 is got like a backlog of of openings, yeah, I, I think uh, for some of the direct care conversations we've had with workforce development, there's a thousand jobs out there in Erie right. County that are unfilled. Right. I mean, so that's got to play into this. Yeah. So I think um, right, if there's no one to provide the care, you, you can't have the service. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. um, and and again, if any other providers that are that are that are uh, that you would normally refer to, they can't hire enough people to cover to provide the, the, the service. Need. Right. No, and I, I think wow. that's something that um, probably has always been there a little bit. I mean, I've been in working in the field for, like I said, 10 plus years, and people seem to always be hiring a little bit, but right now it seems to be um, a, an, an epidemic in that regard, in, wow. in that you just can't find uh, the people that are licensed to do certain work um, for those discharge resources. And yeah. I think it's, a, it's just a struggle to, to, have, to have all your spots filled. Incredible. So, so what are you, uh, we'll bring this plane in for a landing here. What, what do you feel like your, um, you know, what your hopes and dreams are, you know, for this facility? Because again, we're, we're going, we want the end result to be better health, a healthier community, yeah. healthier children. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, to wrap all that up in, in reality, what we want is to be able to um, stabilize and, and get people back to normal, whatever that is for them as soon as we can. And I think that this program, uh, which is predicated on a maximum 60-day model, 
um, versus what used to take uh, potentially two to 400 days on average, um, could have a huge effect for, for the kids that we're gonna serve. That and if there's an appropriate discharge resource that we can manage and be able to get kids off our inpatient unit, which is the most restrictive level of care, um, then what a difference it would make for those kids. Uh, and, and I think as long as we keep the conversation open about how trauma affects everybody and about how we need to be um, thinking about that with each other, those that provide the services as well, and really just treat everyone as people, and that we're all going through something, that we all have those thresholds we discussed, um, that if we keep that in perspective, that we'll all be better uh, set up to serve our patients and clients and, uh, and hopefully work as a team and collaborate in the future. Overall, um, do you feel that uh, that outcomes in, in your field, again, beyond LECOM, mm -hmm. kind of put your, your pundit hat on for behavioral health for a second. Do you feel that, that outcomes as the line in a, in a treatment plan are often achievable or is it like, you know, this, this, this kid is gonna be in constant care, you know, or, or you know, and again, we, we can't make those determinations of how mentally ill someone is, sure. but, uh, uh, do, do, we, do we hit homers sometimes? Um, I would say absolutely. Right now is a difficult time to do that. I think what really drives um, resiliency with any of us, me, you, patients, whatever, everybody, people, right, is the ability to have connection and the ability to know that, that you have someone to count on and those resources. And right now is a tough time to have a lot of um, trusting connection and, and that feeling that you always have someone to lean on. Um, that being said, everybody has different levels of what success is, and some people's levels are, are completely different, right? Yeah. Um, so to say that one person will function exactly the same and be at a 10 out of 10, um, that might not be accurate. But I do think that, uh, I think it's all possible, and there absolutely are homers. And, and, and everyone has that positivity about, I mean, treat, pe that people that give treatment generally in the field. Absolutely. They, yeah, they, I, they're, they're going, you know, instead of just kind of, well, let's just, let's just kind of get to the next level or, or yeah. let's just kind of stabilize. We want to have success. We want to have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Know. Yeah. No, I, mean, I, I think everybody gets into this field um, from the people that are providing like the direct day-to-day -day care to the psychiatrists that are the medical directors. You get into this to have those, those homers, those um, stories of resilience. And I think every, every step that we take to have less gaps in, in care. Um, such as this program that has services transition right out with you into your next um, next setting. Your this next is this is data driven right. choices of how to how to run yeah run that right. That's and awesome. this is our best guess on that data on, yeah. on how to make um, that sort of change and to to hit more homers yeah. as you put it. I, I have to remember what your wife Cassie taught me about. You know, it's all about resi resiliency and coping. Absolutely, you know? yeah. it's about can I deal with the struggles that I have today. Mm -hmm. Do I have the, the wherewithal? Do I have the, the coping skills to be resilient, to have the grit to go through today? Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, as we look, we, we might not always hit the homer today, but we might have sown the seeds today for that person to hit the homer the next time. Gotcha. You know, and, and that's where we're all at is we have to have that hope. We have to believe in that resiliency. Otherwise, what's the point? A little bit. Um, but I've seen it. I've seen it happen. Uh, we have patients that come back to us occasionally but I've seen it change every time, and, and sooner or later, they're, they're in a much better place. Chris Dundon, he's the Director of Behavioral Health for Mill Creek Community Hospital at Lecom Health. Thanks for your hospitality. It's great to be here. Yeah, thank you for having me.
You've been listening to The Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast from TalkErie.com. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcatcher and get involved by emailing joel at TalkErie.com.